The new law of evolution in corporate America seems to be survival of the unfittest. Well, in my book, you either do it right or you get eliminated. In the last seven deals that I've been involved with, there were 2.5 million stockholders who have made a pre-tax profit of $12 billion. Thank you. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. I'm E. Reese, and greed is not good. Don't listen to him. He's, he's uh, old now. <laughs> All right. We're talking about how the good go bad. My name is uh, E. It's short for Eric. I'm uh, one of the teaching pastors here at The Surge. Just want to welcome you if you're here with us. Uh, we're so honored that you are. Um, this is an important topic. And part of the reason why it's important is because God wants good things for our lives. His heart is for us. It's not against us. His love for us is such that uh, he, he aches with our aches. And when we make bad decisions and we suffer for those bad decisions, I believe that God himself suffers with us. Think, imagine uh, people that are close to you that you love dearly, your children, your spouse, a brother and sister, and you see them doing things that make life harder. You see them doing things that actually cause them pain and you don't want that for them. Part of what we're doing here today is we're catching on to the idea that we don't just learn from our own mistakes and from our own experiences, but we can actually learn important things from other people's mistakes, from other people's experiences. And, and scripture gives us wonderful pictures of people getting it right and people getting it wrong, and it's very transparent. It's nothing, nothing is hidden. Sometimes surprising things are revealed about the lives of even people who are heroes of the faith in terms of when they missed it, when they made a mistake, when they did something wrong. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about uh, greed today in the character of Lot. Uh, this is Abraham's nephew, and I, and I wanna do three pieces. The first piece is the gravity of greed, the, the attractional pull that it feels like it has. The, the second one is the greed test, and the third is the antidote for greed. The first one will be a little longer, the second two will be very short, um, but let's jump in. Second Peter, chapter two, it says this. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if you rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. 
some interesting things here. One is that God, in Scripture, calls Lot righteous. And here's something that we need to understand. We can be saved, we can be Christians, we can get to heaven. But we can still make mistakes here on earth that cost us a lot. It's the idea of finishing well. It's the point of the series. In Lot's case, there is tragedy and a lot of it. And it's all related to greed. The problem in our culture is that when we think about greed, we think about it as, as a character flaw, like arrogance or like you know, someone who struggles with body odor or you know, it's something that, that's irritating but not ultimately destructive. But it's interesting, and if you want an interesting Bible study, go to BibleGateway.com, type in the word greed, and just look at the scriptures where it talks about greed specifically. It's in the list with the bad stuff, with murder, with sexual immorality, with all kinds of things that drive us far from God. It's something that God considers to be a big sin. It's something that actually puts a wedge between us and him. Scripture takes it very very seriously. Murder, child abuse, greed. It's in, it's in the list as one of the big ones. It can destroy us. It can mess up our families. And it's more like C4 than silly putty. So let's talk about the gravity of greed. Uh, there are three pieces here um, in Genesis, in Lot's story. It goes from chapter 13 on to about chapter 19 or so. But there are three pieces. And the first one is near. The second one is in. The third one is in the gates. Some of you have heard this before, but hang with me. This is the the story of Lot. So Abraham and Lot had moved out of the land called Ur. Lot had gone with him, and they were actually doing really well. They were incredibly wealthy. Um, At the time, they were basically farmers and shepherds and ranchers. They had cattle and sheep, um, some farming going on, but it was mainly cattle and sheep. And they were getting overpopulated for their land. And I, I read some scholars uh, this week who said that we really don't know how much stuff they had, but yeah, it's not that hard to figure out. I grew up on a farm, right? Um, <laughs> how you figure out how much room you need is how many animals you have. For sheep, it's six to 10 sheep per acre. For cattle, it's about roughly two. And so if you have guys that are having trouble being overpopulated, you know what's going on. If you say that, it, they can range out about a mile without getting into too much trouble, but that's doable for a shepherd and, and his flock. Um, call it four square miles, a mile in every direction, right? 640 acres in a mile. You're talking about 2,500 acres and change. <laughs> that means they had enough land just in, in walking distance, in easy walking distance, to support more than 750 head of cattle and flocks of more than 10,000 sheep. They had too many. <laughs> to be in in walking distance, so they needed to spread out. Now at current market value, just the livestock without the tools and the tents and the staff and the stuff to support this kind of operation, just the livestock, just the cows and the sheep, if you just sold them at current market value, $3.3 million, okay? Abraham and Lot were very, very wealthy. This kind of operation of this size, you would need several hundred people to support that. They were basically a nomadic city. They had all the goods and services, probably 1,000 to 1,500 people overall. So Abraham suggests that because they're getting cramped, because they're not able to grow like they want to grow, they part ways. We need to start a second location, right? And it's good economic policy. So let's look at uh, chapter 13. Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me, and you pick first. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right, If you take the right, then I will go to the left. I want you to notice how generous Abram was here. As the patriarch, he could have dictated terms. 
Goodland's over there, I'm taking that, you get what's left, go away, <laughs> right? He could have done that, and it would have been his right. But it's not, it's not his heart, it's not his approach. He says, look, we've got a problem, you pick. Here's the cookie, you get the big half. He was very generous. So here's what Lot did, starting in verse 10. So Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the good stuff on the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot moved his tent as far as Sodom. Some translations will actually call it near. He moved near Sodom. He knew that the men of Sodom were wicked. He moved near them. Where he moved was not the issue. It was why he moved. He thought it would be economic opportunity. He looked at the land and said, oh, this is good. This is going to help my flocks grow. It was purely a financial decision. Economic opportunity. Now, in this time, city-states like Sodom and Gomorrah, they basically uh, ran their own business, but they had trade relationships and political relationships with other city-states. Some of them were more powerful, some of them were less powerful. Sodom and Gomorrah in this time in this area were actually subjugated to other city-states that were more powerful militarily than they were. They actually paid them tribute. Well, because of greed, they decided they didn't want to do that anymore. So they stopped the payments and said, screw you, we're keeping the money, you do what you want, go go right ahead. The other city-states didn't like that answer, and because of greed, they they wanted their stuff. They actually came in and captured, kidnapped the city of Sodom, took all of their stuff, captured Lot, took all of his stuff, and they went on their way. When Abram heard about it, when he heard about it, he puts together a small army, and he goes out and actually physically rescues him. (laughs) And on the way, we had this amazing story about his encounter with a priest called Melchizedek. And Abraham, for no discernible reason, likes what Melchizedek's doing, he really wants to support him, he, he likes that he's uh, representing God in the situation, and he gives him 10% of his wealth, the 3.3 million, you know, he just gives him 10% of it to support what God is doing on the spot. It was a tithe before God even asked for a tithe. In the rescue, Abraham recovers all of the goods of the city, recovers Lot, gets all his stuff back, rescues the people of Sodom, gets all of their stuff back, and the king of Sodom says, wow, thank you, that was amazing. Tell you what, you, you put yourself at risk, keep all our stuff, just give, us back, give me back my people so that I can rebuild. And Abram says, nope, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna take anything at all. Here's your people, here's all your stuff. I'm happy to do it. His heart of generosity. He doesn't keep any of the possessions, he doesn't take a, a finder's fee or anything, he gives him back all of it. We fast forward to chapter 18, and God has had about enough of Sodom and Gomorrah, it turns out. And we have this amazing sequence where God comes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to destroy the city. (laughs) And so what does Abraham do? He does what what anybody would do. He starts to argue with God, right? Because that's an argument you're going to win. He says, but God, what what, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? And God says, okay, if there are 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. He says, but what? What if five of them are on vacation? (laughs) What if five are missing? For 45 people, would you... And God says, for 45 people, I won't destroy the city. And he keeps going (laughs) from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. For the sake of 10 righteous people, 
God says, I won't destroy the city. And so Abraham's thinking, surely we can get 10 righteous people. <laughs> Two angels go to the city. There are not 10 righteous people to be found. It says in uh, Genesis 19, verse 1, Two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gates of Sodom. We've gone a progression in Lot's life where he moved near Sodom. When he was captured by the kings, he was living in Sodom. Now he is in the gates. In the gates in the ancient city-states was a place of power. It was basically the city hall. It was the main area of business. That's where they held court. It's where they made legal decisions. It's where they made treaties and trade agreements. Lot was sitting in the gates of Sodom. The implication is that now he's not just near Sodom. He's not just living in the city. Now he's actually a leader of the city. He's a judge. He's a leader. Shows how far the progression has gone from near to in to in the gate. And his desire for more, his desire for economic gain has led him to a very bad situation. So he literally begs the angels to stay at his house. And I think he does this because he knows the city and he knows how bad Sodom can be. In 19 verse 4 it says this. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded Lot's house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to, you tonight? came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And make no mistake, this is the biblical no, right? They wanted to bring them out so they could have sex with them. It, the entire town is talking about what to do in the evening. And somebody says, hey, there's new guys in town. We could go rape them. <laughs> that would be, and everybody goes, that's a great idea. Let's go over to Lot's house and see if we can talk him into giving us the guys to rape. It's like, how, like, wait, what? It's like, this is just nuts. How, how can we even get there from here? This is crazy. You, you thought Tyson's Corner was bad. It's like Sodom is, is, is like, it's really, really bad. Sodom takes the cake. Now, of course, these guys are not guys. They're angels. So this may not end like you think it's going to end. This may not end well for you. However, Lot actually goes to this point. He begs the men of the city, don't take my guests. I have the hospitality guest right, which is a big thing in the Middle East. Take my daughters instead and do what you want with them. That's how far we've fallen from where Lot needs to be. The angels intervene. They pull Lot back into the house. They blind the potential rapers so they can't effectively mob them. They protect Lot and his family through the night. And they tell Lot, gather up your stuff, grab your family, grab anybody who's going to go with you. Get out of here. We're going to destroy the city. We're going to burn it to the ground. Now check this out. In Genesis 19, verse 16, it literally says this. But he lingered. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The, the greed and I'll get what I want, even if it means using you, the, the culture, the attraction, the, the get stuff for me, it's like quicksand. It's hard to get away from. It's very hard to break free, of, free from. The angels literally pulled him out of the city physically. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and they set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, they said, escape for your life. Do not look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Skipping down to verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. He's running from Sodom. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. <laughs> Isn't this interesting? City gone, people gone. Vegetation gone, right? The place that he thought was so fertile, 
that was so good for his crops, so good for his livestock, burned to the ground. Economic opportunity, gone, right? Still, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the sulfur, in the midst of the judgment, in the midst of angels literally taking you by the hand and going, no, 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 don't go that way, come with me, and dragging you out of the city, it still pulled on Lot's family. Genesis 19, 26 says this, and it's one of the most tragic verses in all of scripture. Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. When I was a kid, I heard this story probably when I was nine or 10 years old for the first time, and I always thought it seemed unfair that, gosh, you know, <laughs> I was looking at it from the perspective of a child, and, and it's almost like, okay, when you go out, don't look back, don't look back, and like there's this amazing fireworks show happening behind you, right? It's like, it's like a sign that says wet paint, right? How can you not, it says don't touch it, wet paint. How can you not touch it to see if it's actually wet paint? It's like no human can resist that, and don't act like you haven't been there. It, it, I thought, gosh, she just looked back. Was it really that bad? Does God really need to, to punish her in this way? It seemed harsh, it seemed harsh. But Jesus talks about this scene in Luke 17, and he gives us a clue as to what's going on here. It wasn't just a casual look back. It was actually a turning away from. <laughs> Luke 17 says this, Jesus talking about this story. He says, on that day, let the one who was on the housetop, talking about his, his return, he's coming again, with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. You see, it wasn't just a look. It was a turning back. It was a turning away from God in a final way. She wanted the things that greed and selfishness could give her. And she wanted those things more than she wanted salvation, more than she wanted physical safety, more than she wanted her husband, more than she wanted her children. Even in the midst of judgment, even in the presence of angels, she turned away. It's the gravity of greed. The pull of greed. It had her. And it's tragic. And when we look away and when we put that in the place that belongs to God alone, it's dangerous. We lose literally who we are. We might as well be a pillar of salt because we've lost our humanity. We're in a very dangerous place when we turn from God in that way to the things that the city-state of Raperville can offer us, right? I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a bad turning. Even here, can Lot's story get any worse? Yes, yes, it can. Here we go. Oh, my goodness, this is terrible. <laughs> he's lost his stuff. He's lost his career. He's lost his position. He's lost his money, his home, his wife, his opportunity. Now, Lot is living in a cave his daughters are upset that they can't have children, so they hatch a plan. And by the way, uh, Jeff, can you identify this one? Yeah, that's like GHP related stuff. Yeah, what, what's GHP? Yeah, I'm Nice. Well done. How, how smart is this? I'm talking like the brain power in this room. That's, pre that's pretty impressive, right? Will you agree that that's pretty good? Um, <laughs> it's the date rape drug, right? It's like, you know, put somebody to sleep and like do what you want. Um, the reason I bring that up is because Lot is living in a cave with his daughters. There are no men to be husbands, so they hatch a plan. They are upset they can't have children, 
the plan is to give Lot some of this. <laughs> Basically, they load him up with wine. They get him so drunk, he doesn't know where he is or what planet he's on. Then they sleep with him and actually get pregnant. They do this over several nights so that they can have children. Turns out that Jerry Springer has been around for thousands and thousands of years. It's not, it's not a new thing, right? It's just awful. But here's the thing, the gravity of greed. It doesn't just hit us. It affects our spouse. It affects our family. It impacts our kids. They grew up in a place where rape was okay. That was normal. Like, you know, the day that where, where you use someone for your own evil ends, that was called Thursday. That was normal. That's, that's the world that they grew up in. And they made bad decisions related to that. They looked at that and said, yeah, that's a good way to live your life. I'm not saying that we should live in a monastery, but I will say that our environment matters. It matters deeply. We need to be careful of the things we allow to influence us. The things that we allow to influence our family, it can be destructive. <laughs> Listen, greed is dangerous. It, it wasn't that Sot, Lot lived in Sodom. Sometimes God will call you to a bad place. It was why he lived in Sodom. It wasn't a minister. It wasn't to be a righteous man in the midst of bad people. It was because of economic opportunity. And that's a difficult and dangerous thing to benefit from a culture where greed was good. The gravity of greed, it's very dangerous. Second thing is this, the greed test. <laughs> and it's just a series of questions, but I wanna go through them and I want you to really ask them. Ask them honestly, if you would, just, just in your heart, before God, before yourself, so that, so that we can actually apply this story to us. <laughs> We're not just reading Lot's mail here. So here's the first question. Do I make decisions on financial impact alone? Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Understand the financial impact of your decisions. If you don't, you're a moron. I mean, like, come on, we, we, we live in a world with economy and we use money to buy things like luxury items like human food and shelter, and I, I get it. We, we, we need to consider the financial impact, but is that the primary thing? Do we make decisions on financial impact alone? Is that always the bottom line, right? For some people it is, especially in this area. Ambition and salary is way out of proportion and people will sacrifice a lot for the financial game. Do I put financial opportunities above family and health? I think I probably have about family and health, but it's above family and health, sorry about that. <laughs> Do I put financial opportunities above time with my kids, above time with my wife, above those things? Do I work 12 hours a day so that I can provide a good living where they are fatherless and alone? It's like, cut it out. We, we've gotta do better than that. We've gotta make decisions based on the whole picture and not just about the money. Third question is this. Do I experience destination sickness? If, if you know what I mean by, do you understand what I mean by destination sickness? It's, it's the idea, um, uh, the grass is greener on the, on the other side of the next chapter of life, right? When you're in high school, if I can just graduate high school, life's gonna be good and I'm gonna get serious and I'm gonna do this and that and the other and you get to college and well, you know, you learn that you don't need to sleep and so that things get strained. If I, once, once I graduate from college, I'm gonna get a job, I'm gonna get my act together, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do really well, I'm gonna do this and that and the other and you get there and it never, it never seems to materialize. If I just get a good job, if I can just get financially stable, if I can just buy a house, if I can buy a house, that'd be good. If I can just get married, once I'm married, then things will be all set, I will be good. And we always push our calling, our purpose, our best self into the next chapter and we never, ever, ever get there. And yet we're, we're like a hamster on a wheel. We're running our legs off 
to get to the next chapter, but we never live in the moment. We never be who God has called us to be today. Don't experience destination sickness and, and the ambition of greed, it's never enough. If I can just make this salary bracket, well, you make it, and guess what? You want, you want to get into the next one. It's never enough. It's never enough. So if you experience destination sickness, take stock. Take a step back. Look at your life and say, gosh, what can I be thankful about today? Um, this, is kind of, this is kind of a terrifying one. Would I rather be a liar than be poor? <laughs> it, it sounds bad when you say it that way, but so many people make this decision. It's like, well... If I tell the truth on my taxes, that means I need to pay more money. I have less money, so I'm going to not tell the truth on my taxes. That you're basically saying, I'd rather be a liar than have less money. Don't do that. Operate with integrity. Let, let the truth and honesty be more important than a few dollars. Next question is this. Do I have a history of conflict over money? Uh, my mom was an attorney for years. She did a lot of good stuff. Um, early in her career, she did, she did a number of divorces. Eventually, she couldn't take it anymore. She stopped doing divorces, and she started uh, focusing energy on, on things that she felt were more helpful. Um, but somebody, I was at dinner with her years ago, and somebody asked her, you've done some of these. What, what's the most common cause of divorce? She opened up her wallet, put it on the table. She pulled out a Visa card and held it up. <laughs> and it's like Visa. Visa's number one. It wasn't Visa particularly, but it was money troubles. It was debt. It was... It was money stuff that brought stress into a marriage that exacerbated everything else. And she said, if you take that out of the picture, she said, I think a lot of these marriages make it. I mean, the, the stuff they dealt, dealt with was not insurmountable, but it seemed like the money stuff always seemed to push them over <laughs> the edge. A history of conflict over money. Do you have a history of, are you always getting into it? People are overcharging you and you're mad about that or... You're not getting a fair deal. Do you, are you always angry? Is money coming between you and your relationships with other people on a consistent basis? Maybe greed is, is on the table. So related to destination sickness, the last question is this. Do I plan to be generous someday? <laughs> right? When I get my stuff together, <laughs> when the kids are out of college and we can stop eating cat food, <laughs> you know, it's like, that was good. Uh, maybe then we can be generous. It's like, no, no, be generous now. Listen, I have lived, uh, God has blessed me with being poor for years. And I'm telling you it's a blessing because it messed up how I think about money forever. I lived for years with $10 in my, in my checking account. I had enough to pay the bills and eat a little bit of food and that was, about, that was about it. That's all I had. And it was okay. I was fine. It turns out we don't have to have cable TV. <laughs> it turns out there are lots of things in our life we don't have to have. And it just shaped the way that I think about money. When I was in the corporate world, I had ridiculous salaries like some of the people in this room, and, the, and that's not a bad thing, but it's like I had more money than I knew what to do with. I'm making lists of stuff I want to buy now because I know that my salary won't be there forever because of who God has called me to be, and I literally made a list of stuff. I cut it on sale, and I would buy it. I had money to buy it. I was saving 30 and 40% of my income at one point. I had more money. I literally had more money than I knew what to do with. I've lived with very little. I've lived with a whole bunch. It's better to have a little money in the bank. I'll just tell you, it makes life a little easier. But, but I'm, I'm telling you this, being generous is not about how much money you have in the bank. It's about trust. It's about your willingness to invest in other people. You don't have any money, that's fine. Invest your time. Be generous with who you are. You got a few bucks, you're in, a, you're in another stage of life, 
buy the starving college student lunch. <laughs> you know, that 10 bucks is huge for them. They're, they're, they're digging through the cushions of the couch to try to find money to do the thing. Listen, give them a sandwich. You know, we can pay it forward a little bit. We can be generous in little ways. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous in ways that, that people don't expect. So the greed test. Asking questions, answer them honestly. Allow God to course correct us. So the last thing is this, the antidote. What do we do? Uh, there's a wonderful passage, a wonderful passage in 1 Timothy 6. And I, and I want to read this to you, and I want you to see it through the lens of Lot and his, his attitude of greed, his attitude uh, for economic gain, and what it cost him. 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes, it is. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Insert lot here, <laughs> right? But you... Man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Lot, for his greed, for his heart, for his inability to not get sucked into the weird world of Sodom, pierced himself with many griefs. He did. So what's the antidote? I think the antidote is to have the heart of Abraham in the story. I mean, think, think about Abraham. He finished well. Uh, God promised Abraham early on in his, in his journey that he would make his children like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And through the nation of Israel and through the coming of Christ and through the spiritual rebirth that we've been adopted into God's family through the line of Abraham, through the line of Christ, one of those stars is shining for us. We are one of those grains of sand. And the promise that God made to Abraham is coming true in this very room with you and I and many of the people that God has called. The heart of Abraham is the way out of greed. To follow God even when we don't know exactly where that leads. Does it have vacation days? You know, I'm, I'm going out of Ur. I, I know I don't know where I'm going, but are there benefits involved? Can I have, do I have health insurance? He just went. He just went and there was an incredible amount of trust. Abraham was generous. <laughs> we could be generous. We are blessed. We can give up battling for positions that benefit us. We can stand like Abraham did and said, no, no, we need to do this thing. You take the big half. You pick first and, let, and trust God that he's going to make it okay. When we're in a position of wealth, when we're in a position of power, we can trust God to protect us, to trust God when, with our finances even when there isn't a clear payback. Listen, we can fight to rescue those who have been kidnapped by their own bad decisions just like Abraham did for Lot. Go get him. Go get him. Fight for him. Bring him back. And don't seek to take advantage of that situation. Well, give you a bunch of stuff. Abraham, I don't, I don't need your stuff. 
right? He just did it because it was the right thing to do. Like Abraham, we need to focus on our own calling, finding faith when we're too old and we're too tired and the promise that God has made for us doesn't make sense anymore. In that moment, to stand in faith and say, yes, Lord, we'll do what you want. You want to bring us a son? Good. We'll name him Isaac. (laughs) We will do what you want us to do. We need to find the salvation and redemption of people who are beyond saving or that we think are beyond saving. Because it wasn't 50 people, it wasn't 20 people, it wasn't 10. Hear me. There was one righteous man in Sodom, one. His name was Lot. And the heart of the gospel and the heart of God towards you and to everybody you know is that when he's in danger, he'll send in angels to go get him. It's not, when Abraham was arguing with God, God wasn't losing the argument. He was revealing his heart to Abraham of how much he loves us. And is the number 50, is the number 45, is the number 10, no, the number is one. And if there's one righteous man, if there's hope for one individual, God will move heaven and earth. He will send in angels. He will send his own son to come and die on a cross to take us by the hand, to pull us out of the place of danger, to make a way for us to escape. There was one righteous man in Sodom, heart of the gospel. God went in after him. And God has amazing things for you too. And he has amazing things in mind for the person that's on your heart. So what I want to do now is I want to pray over us, but I also want you to pray over the people that you know that are so close, (laughs) that God wants to bring to himself. And here's what I want us to pray, that God will open a door, that he'll bring people into their lives that can speak to them in a meaningful way, not in a condescending way, not as a project, but in a loving way that would be an opportunity for God to meet them. So if you would pray with me, and let's ask that God breaks a hold of greed over our hearts and over the hearts of the people that we know. Father, we just thank you for your word, for everything that you're doing. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us the heart of Abraham, the father of many, that you would give us a sense of his generosity, a sense of his faith, a sense of his heart, that you would let us trust you like he trusted you. And Lord, I pray for the people in our lives that need you desperately. Um, as specific people come to mind, I pray that you would reach into their lives, that the Holy Spirit, that you would be free to do your thing, that you would woo them, that you would speak to them in ways that they can understand, in ways that would give them pause, that they would meet people that, that they could take seriously, that are not a punchline, that are not a reason to not believe, but, but a reason to, to say, wow, there's something going on in that person's life, there's something real there, Maybe this God thing has something to it after all. And Lord, I pray that you would draw them violently, powerfully with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would just bless all of us, free us from greed, big and small, that you would just bless every person in this room with health and balance and just a blessing from from your heart and the love that you extend towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.